useless thrashing of hard drive has begun. All right, you guys have to talk now. Okay. He's he's talking. I hear him talking. The old click and drag it down trick. There we go. Look at that. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 363. We're on a break! Recorded June 30th, 2019, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Hello, Ninja, the Jinda the Ninja, who just magically knows when we're doing a show, even when we're an hour and 15 minutes late. You, you amaze me, sir. I'm sure you actually have the YouTube channel subscribed and you know when we go live, but still, I'm going to give you credit for just magically knowing exactly when to chop in, uh, jump in. So, Jinda's here. My name is Mark. These guys here, that's Seth and Miles. Hey, guys. Hey, Mark, and welcome, faithful opiates. Happy summer. Ha- oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Hey, everyone. Summer is here. Yeah, it is officially, we're a week, nine days, I think it is, into the official summer. Uh, Miles, what, uh, which, uh, uh, foreign country are you in today? Still in Mexico. Okay. Still uh, Mexico. Just in a different state now. I'm in Jalisco. For, I mean, Guadalajara. Do they call them states in Mexico or are they provinces oh, yeah. or territories? States, the word? Yeah. yeah Estados Unidos de Mexico, I think, yeah. is their official. That's my Mexico. very poor attempt at Spanish. Oh, yeah. I, it, it works. It's fine. Yeah, they have over 30 of them. Yeah. So I was listening to some foreigner, I don't remember, Canadian maybe, um, talking about, no, it was, had to be farther away than Canada because a Canadian would have understood this, uh, talking about their trip to the U.S. and said, you know, made the comment that going from state to state in America is really like going country to country. And I thought, well, yeah, that's why we, we use the term state because we were independent states united in a union. It was not intended to be a country, really, in, on its own initially. These these were like when you would say the independent state of Georgia or the independent state of, well, Georgia's not a good one because people think that means uh, the independent state of Morocco. Um, you know, it, uh, well, Morocco's a city. Dang, I can't come up with a, a good example. But uh, it was intended to be sovereign territories. Not really countries, but kind of countries. States, in the truest sense of the word. Now states just mean sort of a subdivision of a country. Uh, but back in the day, it's not what state was supposed to mean. What do they call them in Australia, Miles? States. states. Yeah, they do, but they're not, they're not independent at all. They're all part of... Because there's only 25 million people there, you know? I mean, this is like the population of Mexico City is the whole country. So it doesn't... It doesn't work. It's states. It should, probably should be called provinces. Yeah. Canada calls them provinces. Um, and then even within the states, you have the divisions that what in other countries would be states, right? In in the U.S., we have, you know, counties. Of course, counties aren't um, unique to America. But in, in the original design, the county was essentially the state within the state of yeah, the independent sovereign territory of Louisiana. Only in Louisiana they call them parishes. I'm just digging this hole deeper, and I'm going to stop now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I understand, foreign guy, who I can't remember who you were, why it's confusing to you. because, But it really is like moving from one sovereign territory to another. When you cross over from Mississippi into um, um, Florida, they don't meet. Um, but uh, if, when that <laughs> when you cross over from one state to another, it really is like moving from one sovereign territory to another we brought we have our own cultures and everything 
Anyway, sorry. Well, that's because originally before there was the United States, there was the Articles of Confederation. Oh my gosh, yeah, Articles of, yeah, was it Confederation or was it Federation? I don't remember. Now, the Articles of Confederation were the Confederate States. It was, uh, you know, it doesn't, we suck at our own history. Just going to say it. I used to know it, but you know, when you haven't studied it in however many years it's been since I've been out of high school. Man, that's a long time ago. Golly, you think about that. What was so important to you in high school just a few years later is irrelevant, you know, but stuff that was important a few years later is still important today. So in in a in a very lightly tangentially related note, I, I had a conversation with somebody today. It was we were revolving around the church, you know, it was like uh um something like putting like an electric guitar in the the traditional the old people i'll use the term service um and somebody was like you know i'm not really sure that's going to fly with that set and i got to thinking so the people who are 70 and 80 now were at woodstock um i think they're okay with an electric guitar in church you know jimmy hendrix had he survived would be that age you know uh, the, these guys um who were you know the beatniks and the 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 flower children are now in their 70s and 80s. So, yeah, I think it's okay to have an electric guitar for them. They know they know what it sounds like. Anyway, it's it's kind of weird to think about that that those people the the octogenarians now were the the hippie flower children the free love movement back then. The math works on that, right? Octogenarian. Yeah. Good uh, word. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Cuz it's been 50 I'll go, I'll Think go, about yes. this. <laughs> Wood, Woodstock was more than 50 years ago. Right. So, Wow. So, uh, Seth, wow. you're going to talk about Godzilla. Um, a friend of mine gave me a review that I, I think you're going to back it up, but you can tell me. And the review I'm paraphrasing was, the plot's terrible, the, che- the dialogue's cheesy, but the monsters fighting each other are great. Yes. So, if you'll remember a few years ago, there was that movie entitled People Reacting to Stuff Godzilla Did Off Screen. Well, this time, they actually made a Godzilla movie. So... Um, and it was, yeah, I mean, I, it could have been a silent movie and probably would have been better uh, than a talkie. So, yeah, the dialogue was horrendously bad. But when the the one thing I didn't like, I mean, it's monster, it's what made Pacific the first Pacific Rim great and not that follow-up garbage. You know, you wanted to see big robots fighting big monsters. Well, here you get to see big monsters fight big monsters. I don't like how... It was a battle royale almost, you know, that all the each monster could have had its own movie, you know, so I guess we just don't know how to write movies anymore. We just puke CGI on the screen and a, a lot of the fighting was awful because it's done so darkly so you can't see it. But I mean, overall. It was an in, not a good movie, but it was enjoyable because you got to see big monsters fighting. So, and you learn the true history of Atlantis. So even though it's not stated, that's my hypothesis is that city was Atlantis, which if you've seen the film, you'll know. And if you haven't seen the film, you know, I don't really think I'm giving a major plot point away. Well, since there are no major plot points, you really can't give them away. Uh, If you go watch it, stay till the very, very end uh, post there's the credits. The first part of the credits are sort of like, they're teasing their universe out, but there's a post credit scene that, you know, could be world building. It could be nothing, but so stay till the very end. 
So is it is it worth seeing on the big screen, or is it okay to wait till it comes to Netflix? You would not like the movie, but there are a lot. You know, seeing Godzilla and Monster Zero, you would lose something. I think just seeing. I mean, even if you've got like a sixty-inch TV, I still think there's. You know, you miss the effect of the giant monster. But I don't think of any reason to go see it in IMAX or 3D. Um, and, you know, but just, you know, it's a big monster movie. You've got to go see them in the theater. So I enjoyed greatly the first Pacific Rim movie, which yes. was uh, actually a really interesting plot. One of the things I liked about it was it's one of the few truly unique stories that I've seen in a movie in a long time, but the dialogue was cheesy and hokey and, and you know, this is the day we cancel the, uh, or whatever it was. Cancel the, the apocalypse. apocalypse. That's it. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was cheesy, but it was giant monsters fighting giant robots and the, the animation and, uh, and the choreography of the fight was such that at every point, every punch that was thrown, you knew who was throwing it and, and who it was landing on. So because of that, I really enjoyed, um, uh, Pacific Rim, in spite of its obvious failings as a uh, masterpiece, how does the new Godzilla King of Monsters stack up to that? Visually, very comparable. Um, the choreography isn't there. It kind of gets the over, you know, let's overload. It's sort of like the the final fight scene in um, Endgame where they just they puked heroes and villains on the screen and just fan serviced it to death you know that was the first fight scene for me in the marvel universe that lost that choreography you know whereas if you if you put that between the the thanos against thor iron man and captain america that was an awesome fight scene very well choreographed and done but the one after that was just worthless so this is somewhere kind of between those two so the spectacle is good, but it's lacking on choreography and not supported by the film. Okay. That's me trying to give a an actual review and not just, you know, why I liked it or didn't. All right, and Miles, uh, as you have traveled around Mexico, you have found other people who are not of Mexico. Talk about that. Yeah, it's... Um, oh, you turned the light off. It, you went into full-on witness protection program I know. mode. Well, that, that, welcome to the Hyatt Regency's power-saving plan. If you don't move in the room, they turn the light out on you. Yeah, okay. Anyway. Wait, wave, wave your hands. Uh, yeah, let's see if that... Hang on. Come wave on. Go, no, I've got to go. Yeah. For those of you listening on audio, button. this is great programming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anywho. Okay, so, um, yeah. Uh, geez, I had a really interesting week. So, uh, last week... Uh, we were in Mexico City for a week, so I, you know, it, it, it was one of those typical tour around, see pyramids, and visit lots of murals and art galleries and museums and castles and all that stuff, and it was great. Loved it, but it was a pure tourist experience. Then I did something that I had been um, threatening to do for two years, and uh, and I've done this. This is the second year in a row that I've done this. Um, I don't know, uh, maybe it's me, I'm a little bit weird in this way, maybe I'm not, I don't know. I like to go to places that give me hope. Now, it's a really strange statement, but I like to visit places that I could at least say, when I come home and I'm sitting there working like a slave, you know, on some project or whatever, and I don't want to be there and I don't want to be doing the work, 
that I can think about that place that either I want to go to or I've visited and just in the back of my mind going, you know what, if I really felt like it, I could pack it all up tomorrow and go to that place. Everyone's probably got one of those in their mind. It might be like Bora Bora or Tahiti or something like that. You know, for me, it was this little town that I heard of in my travels called San Miguel de Allende. San Miguel's in uh, the Guanajuato state area of Mexico. It's like middle of the country. It's one of those places that's very rare because it has pretty much perfect weather all round. 75 degrees every single day, winter, summer, you name it. It's, it's awesome. Um, so anyway, with, uh, with uh, San Miguel, it's also a destination spot for um, expats. Um, expats meaning US and Canadian and other Western countries who people who wanted to escape their normal life and go live in Mexico because it's cheaper. I mean that that's the initial appeal, but it's really not just that. Um, last year we did a little tour to a town called Ahihik, which is just outside of uh, Guadalajara here, and it's predominantly a, a kind of a retirement haven for expats people the average age of expats in Ahihik is like 65 so these are people who are on social security and they can't survive in the US but they can live like kings in Ahihik because it's cheaper and they live a really beautiful life you know they get maid service and cooks you know chefs cooking their food and great medical all the good stuff you'd ever want when you're you know waning years you know your final she'll call it the final quarter it's the perfect place to go to, but it's not for me because I'm not there yet. So we then found out about this place, San Miguel, which is where people of all ages who are expats flock to um, and go down there to have a, quote, better life. Well, you know, that's a perception issue. Everyone's going to have their own place that they think is their utopia. But in this case, the people down there feel that that's theirs. And I got to tell you, that city is the most beautiful place I've ever seen. If you feel like you're in the oldest part of Madrid, Spain, with these cobblestone streets, and just gorgeous scenery. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Well, what happens is there's a guy down there who I was listening to his podcast. His name's James Guzman. He has a podcast called Borderless. And he's been doing it for a, quite a while. He's like over 100 episodes. And uh, I really was digging his whole story. So I got down to San Miguel and we did the, you know, we went around, looked at everything. And my wife and I were just sort of amazed by, you know, all the architecture and whatever. Anyway, I got back and I said, you know, I'm going to reach out to this guy. So I sent him an, uh, an email and a day or so later, I get this thing back from him that says, call me. So I give him a call. So next thing you know, I'm having lunch with him and we're having a good old chat, typical podcast lunch, right? And he's telling me about life in San Miguel and I'm telling him about, you know, what's going on in my world and, you know, we're having a good time. And uh, then he says to me, Listen, this Friday night, a bunch of us expats here get together for Cigars and Mescal, which is this thing they do every week at this kind of outdoor Mescal place, which is, you know, where they serve the tequila and, and so on. So I said, yeah, all right, I'll show up. So I did. And I swear, this place, incredible. I met 30 expats from all different parts of the US, all different ages, all different backgrounds. 
And they all told me, I was there for five hours, talking to these guys, finding their story, finding out what they were doing, why they were there, all this incredible wisdom. Um, and I can, what I can tell you is there is a world out there that we don't really hear about, and that's the expat community in Mexico. And they've created their own little sovereign country almost, but they're, <laughs> they're welcomed by the locals because they give back. You know, their mission is to give back to the community. So they'll, like, I, I bumped into James, surprisingly, on, on the, the next morning at the local library, the, the biblioteca there. He was uh, teaching English to Spanish kids. That was just what you do down there, right? Um, everybody gives back. And apparently there's this long history down there since the GIs returned from World War II. A lot of them went down there and this is what they do. And they continue to give service to the local population. So if, if anything, the message that I got from this, and it's still, I'm still like pinching myself from what I went through and what I saw there. Because I don't know how to react to it yet i'm still i'm still in information gathering mode but um what i got back from there is that all the bs that you hear on the news media and all the slander that you hear about mexico and not it's not just mexico but you know that's part of it there's just as many people leaving the u.s and moving down there and creating wonderful communities uh and giving back and i just I don't know. I, I, I'm still in shock. I'm still kind of getting over the whole experience, but I thought at least I'd share it. That's a cool story. Yeah. I need to, I need to win the lottery so I can be an expat. That's like my only <laughs> ticket out now. Well, you know, the, the, the peso is 20 to 1 against the US right. dollar, Seth. You could do it today. <laughs> Yeah, but while, you know, my the the problem is my income is still in, or my debt is still in US dollars. So, you know. <laughs> well, if you I could just, get, you know, 20 to 1 devaluation of my debt, then sure I could, but just, I'm not quite there yet. Just fake your death um and uh, move to a country <laughs> under an assumed name. Problem solved. Well, I'm not feeling well, so. <laughs> So I want to, uh, I told the guys before we were going on that I had something that I, I was going to put together while they were talking. So I really wasn't paying attention to either Miles or Seth, uh, because I wanted to talk to you about this thing. It, it came up today, just, you know, um, moments ago as I was, um, uh, sitting on the can, I'm just going to be honest with you. I was perusing my phone and, uh, and Google, my newsfeed popped up and, um, there were two news stories in my news feed uh one from fox news uh one from the mirror uh in uk same story and you've heard you've heard me uh rant about journalism and what it means in the world today a number of times i thought this was an excellent story i'm not gonna i'm gonna try to keep my review of this thing unbiased and just say you know um just say the facts but you will obviously hear what what my feelings are in my tone and in the, the words i choose not to say as much as anything else so um apparently google uh thinks that i like stories about scantily clad beautiful women let me rephrase that uh google totally knows that i absolutely like scantily clad beautiful <laughs> women uh so the uh, news headline that came up was woman wearing see-through top kicked off plane for disrupt disruptive behavior colon i was in shock Okay, that's the Fox News article. I'm going to post that 
uh, in the uh, chat room so that you guys can see it. It'll also be in the show notes. Uh, be warned, guys, there is an autoplay um, uh, audio on that. There's a video with audio, so you might want to mute that. Um, so this story from Fox News, the only picture you see is a picture of the EasyJet plane uh, from like the front engine up. Uh, and it's a 150-word article. I'm not going to read all of it. Uh, but it says, woman was kicked off a flight after passengers complained about her revealing outfit. The airline says it was her behavior, not her outfit, that got her in trouble. The woman reportedly became, quote, disruptive after being asked to change her top, which other passengers on the EasyJet flight reported uh, reportedly found, quote, too revealing. While the woman reportedly agreed to wear a new top provided by the airline, she continued to act in a disruptive manner. Uh, And, you know, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but that's a good summation of that. The next article from The Mirror, UK, and I'll post that link there, um, says, Mum booted off EasyJet flight for wearing this low-cut lace top. Then it proceeds to show you six pictures of the woman in the top uh, and says, A woman was kicked off a flight after cabin crew told her to change her low-cut see-through top. Mom of two, Harriet Osborne, 31, says she burst into tears after she was made to feel, quote, cheap when she was told her top was too revealing. A source claims some passengers complained to the crew that they could see Harriet's nipples, but she said she was wearing nipple tape, uh, and nipple covers and tape. She said that she's covered up with a mate's jumper, was, but was not allowed back on. EasyJet said she believed, behaved disruptively towards a member of the crew. So again, I won't read the rest of the article. This this highlights the differences between journalism styles. Uh, one is trying to tell a story. One is trying to elicit a reaction. Um, one is giving you facts as reported. The other one is giving you uh, facts and opinion I was made to feel. Uh, along with no less than six pictures of a woman in a revealing top. Which of these, I ask you, is journalism? Um, neither. That's exactly <laughs> the right answer. Neither of these is actual journalism. Well, you could say they're both journalism because they each seek to tell a narrative picking selective facts out of an event. That's the very definition of the word journalism, not reporting. Right. Journalism is to to journal events. So I, I, if, I should actually look that up, the Webster's definition, because every good speech begins with Webster's defines. Uh, no, journalism is, in the, tr- in the truest sense, to journal, to record, to write that which happened. So, in, you know, in, in the old days, um, you would keep a journal of business transactions, uh, not just a journal of your thoughts and feelings or the the boy who makes your heart go pitter-patter. Journalism is the recording of information. Um, modern journalism is the presentation of a package complete with how you should feel about it. That, in in essence, is my problem with all journalism and more specifically web journalism in the world today. It is not a reportage of information. It is a packaged a container complete with commentary and how you should feel about it. And uh, if at all possible, clickbait things to keep you on the page because, you know, on the mirror one, the, uh, the multiple pictures of the woman 
in revealing clothing are of course interspersed with lots of ads because as you scroll down the page because i want to see more boobs you you now have to see ads along with your boobs um and and i don't i don't know the mirror i don't know if they're like the english version of the inquirer or if they're the english version of the new york times i don't know where on the spectrum they fall there um but the 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 trail that you follow on this one so uh at the website you know there's always a, a uh, most websites have a navigation trail so like if you were at amazon it would be furniture outdoor furniture uh lawn chairs right so on the mirror uh the, it's news uk news boobs that's <laughs> well, that's me, the let, thing you go let, through let me tell you a little story about that okay so from my hometown in in australia from the city of adelaide once uh, emerged a gentleman by the name of rupert murdoch uh rupert murdoch when he was just a journalist he worked for our local paper i think it was sunday mail i think that was the one correct me if i'm wrong anybody but anyway i think that was it he eventually became the uh multimedia baron that he was that owns fox or owned or owned still part of it or whatever uh you know news corporation sky all those things and he came to power because in the 70s he um emigrated to the uk to start up a number of newspapers and one of the things other than a lot of uh very heavy right-wing sort of anti-trade union content which was his sort of flavor one of the things he always did which was the thing that made him as wealthy as he became was what (laughs) excuse me what they used to call page three girls page three girls in the uk was the page you opened after you know you've got the front cover of the newspaper you flip it there's a story on the back and sitting right there on the first page that you open page three staring you right in the face is always some women with with boobs that was always rupert murdoch's formula he did it on every paper he could and the more he could do that the more he wanted to because he knew that sex sells and that was his whole mantra to uh, you know, fast forward, he somehow manages to get U.S. citizenship by financial investment, and you know, moves to California, starts Fox and and all of the other stuff, and then tries to take a version of that that model and and Americanize it. So when you watch Fox News, surprisingly, all the female journalists, if that's what you want to call them, sitting on that channel or that paper or that other media spread are all basically like Baywatch level women. Because Rupert Murdoch's page three girl model works in the US just as it works in the UK, but in a different form. So what you're seeing is the UK's version of the page three, and you're comparing it to the US version of the page three, but it's still the page three. And it's still Rupert Murdoch. And all of that issue that we've got against journalism, most of it can be brought back to that guy. And I'm sorry, yeah, he's from my hometown. Don't blame me. I am unwilling to lay all of the blame at the feet of Rupert Murdoch, Murdoch but um, as, I have, as I have often said about many things, we get what we deserve. Right? We get the government we deserve. We get the economy we deserve. Now we're getting the news we deserve because you know Rupert Murdoch wouldn't have done this if it didn't make money. 
And how does yeah, it no, make I, money? You know, we buy the stuff. Exactly. I mean, what he did from a business standpoint is genius. He found a business model that worked, that he could repeat and scale, and he could make billions of dollars with, and that's how his empire began. The problem is every every other journalist out there that's trying to tell a story about, you know, the, the Beirut, you know, war zones or, or something like that, they're not getting anybody reading their stories. So guess what? They're going to do the same thing. Right. So they find their version of the same clickbait, and, and that's what we have. You know, when Fox News first began, it was the anti-CNN. I remember their their slogan initially was, we report, you decide, fair and balanced. That was what they were going for. We're just going to report. I, I remember uh, who, one of their early anchors saying those things. Look, this whole network is about reporting. We're just going to give you the facts. You decide what to think about it. We're not going to tell you what to think. We report, you decide, fair and balanced. That was That was their mantra for about six months until they started losing money. And then they realized that they could make more money by being the anti-CNN. Whatever CNN says, we're going to come out against that. Whatever CNN reports, we're going to report the opposite. And then, boom, they took off. And now they are considered the, you know, the network of record for many on the, the right-wing side of things. Um, not because their reporting is good, but because they say things that those people want to believe. And CNN reacted by going even farther the other way. You know, during the, like the Operation Desert Storm, the CNN reporting was amazing that really launched cnn they had been around but most people hadn't heard of them that really stellar high quality journalism i am looking out the window i'm telling you what i see was astounding it was the high point of cnn and it will never be reached again because immediately when they didn't have a war to report on they drifted more toward the well let's let's report things that a larger portion of the people already agree with and now Fox News and, and CNN are like magnets of, of the same polarity, pushing each other farther to the extremes. And why do we have that? Because we get what we deserve. We, we pay for it. We pay for it with our attention, with our clicks, and you know, very rarely with our actual pocketbook. Amen. Preach. Well, I, th- I, I think that we, um, I think we should stop watching it, personally. I mean, there's, look, you get the headlines in 10 minutes per day. That's enough. You got enough. If you want editorial, sure. Read about that. That's, that's fine. But if you're going to sit there because the news station has got some hypnosis method or whatever they're using that just keeps your eyeballs glued so they can sell you more pharmaceutical ads, then you're to blame. I mean, yeah, they're going to sell pharmaceutical ads. That's how they monetize. But the fact is that you're sitting there watching it. You got the story an hour ago. Get up off the couch and go and do something. All right. So yep. that's that's my my rant for the day. Seth, did I cut you off? No, I just, I, we're all in agreement. So we are the problem. I am the problem. Uh, actually, I'm not. I don't watch anybody's news anymore. I I used to be a total news junkie. Um, and it just, it was probably the 2004 election that just turned me off of news and turned and spoiled me for any sense of ever hoping there would be true journalism again. Um, and I just, I, I choose to find my own information anywhere I can find it often, often the web, often, um, you know, radio and television, but I don't. I don't try to consume any one's media. I try to consume 
uh, different avenues of media. And honestly, I'm much less plugged in than I used to be. I know much less about things. Uh, people try to have conversations with me at work. You know, how about those Brazilian soccer team that ate each other last week? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry. It must have been on the news and I didn't watch it. I'm completely disengaged from that. And And honestly, I feel some shame about that. I feel that I should be more aware of the important things going around me. But the problem is the, the important things are so drowned out by the fluff that I don't, I just given up. I have just shut down like an overloaded autistic. Uh, you know, eventually the input was just too much and I had to shut down. Yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm on, go ahead, Seth. No, I was going to say that's the, that's the problem. And it just, I, just, I mean, it's the same stuff we always talk about. We don't, we are being shaped. The people in charge, you know, you can talk about how information is free and all of that, but you know, it's a lot of what we talked about last week or the week before the people in charge are defining what hate speech is in their individual domains. And, oh, you know, it's not censorship or anything because they're not the government, but yet they want the perks of being in like the equivalent of an information utility, but they don't want any oversight because it's free speech. And then they are blocking things that are detrimental to their point of view, because of course, I mean, they're enlightened, super smart people with only the best interests of the world at heart. And so anybody who disagrees with them is by the very definition, hateful and fringe elements and need to be controlled in silence. And, you know, I pity the society that doesn't know how to think. And that is why I pity America now because, and again, it's not true for everyone, but I believe the tipping point has passed. You know, is it too late to realize what's going and fight to get it back? No, I don't think so. But the, I mean, what started has a slow tilt, a slow, just kind of trickle. You know, if you've ever watched, you ever made like a sand dam or whatever, and you just breach a little bit at the top, it's only a little trickle, a little trickle, and then more and more and more and more. And eventually it destroys the whole thing. And, oh, you know, the sky is falling, the boy who cried wolf too much, but you know, just because the wolf didn't come the first time you call doesn't mean it's not out there. And just because the sky's got a long way to drop because we built it so high doesn't mean it's not falling. So, yay America. Well, I, you know, I've been I've been out of the states for 2 weeks now, so I um I'm not being uh bombarded with news. Um and the only news that I've been getting is what I pick up on my phone using Google News or something like that. Um, and I don't miss it at all. I really don't. I found that most of the news stories seem to be more of a uh, trigger you to feel really bad. I mean, let's face it, half of the, well, half, more than half, 98% of every single thing you see and read in the news doesn't affect your life. You're a spectator to somebody else's problem. You're a spectator to somebody else's issues. And the 2% that does actually impact you, you would find out about those things just by walking around on the street and seeing things with your own eyes. The, the fact that some journalist is telling you a story that you say, yeah, yeah, I saw that. It's like, well, why do you need the news for? And at some point... You can say, well, because, you know, everybody else wants to have a conversation about topic X or topic Y. It doesn't affect them either. 
They're mm. all being hypnotized by the same problem that we're watching somebody else's story like like a Kardashian episode. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't help us. It doesn't make us better people. It doesn't make us better informed. You want to be better informed? Go read Ernest Hemingway. All right, that, that, that's how you get better informed. Go and read books, study things, learn things. But the news is just, it's pornography of information nowadays. And I just don't buy into it. And it's been such a, a beautiful thing to get away, step away from that day-to-day slamming of information. Uh, to be in a foreign country where if it was on the TV, I wouldn't, I don't speak enough Spanish to even know what they'd be talking about. So I'm not going to worry about it. But I, I tell you, every day I pull up that, you know, I might have five minutes, I'm waiting for a bus or I'm waiting for something, my meal or something. And I stupidly pull my phone out, which is mistake number one. But when I <laughs> stupidly pull my, my phone out, I go to Google News and the first thing I see is a story about Trump or a story about, you know, China tariffs or whatever. And I'm like, really? This is not going to affect my life. Why am I putting myself through it? And the first thing I do is put my phone down. If we could all do that, guess what? Journalists would actually have to tell you a real story that made sense, that actually had impact. But we won't. I'm a big fan of the fourth estate. You know, we need um, news. We need uh, information about things that are important to us. Like, for example, the fact that Two of the world's largest governments are actively trying to outlaw encryption. That's a thing we need to know about. But okay, and and I do want to hear about that story. But will this change your life? Potentially. In any way? How? Give me an actual impact return on investment statement. Well, How will that change your life? If if encryption is no longer um, allowed, then my data, my financial transactions my my private data is is much more apt to be dealt with incorrectly and how will that affect you how will that change your life i could potentially lose all of my money because somebody takes my money out of an encrypted bank account i mean that dude i could i could do that right now with a man in the middle attack at a coffee shop you're not any safer i'm trying to say that this is another story which is there to trigger you but it won't change your life. You know, it, it does change your life, but it just changes it by continuing on the same trajectory we've been on. So, you know, yes, man in the middle attack at a coffee shop, you know, that's the low hanging fruit. But if I have, you know, like a VPN service or whatever and everything set up and now my end to end encryption is banned by a government who just doesn't care about your privacy or your liberty and think their right to snoop on everything their citizens do is more important than my right to privacy. Well, then they're going to engineer, you know, it, it, Oh, it's, it's not a, it's not a back door. It's a golden key, which is because that's the government sending them for back door. But what this does is it rules out the ability of a company to protect its information, you know, and granted, because what this would do is like ban Google's point to point encryption, because 
all of your data on Google is Google's data. It's a way to harvest information about you so that they can package and monetize you by farming out your information to advertisers and bombard you with the cacophony of crap that the internet is good for these days. But now other companies can come in and steal it and also bombard you with the cacophony of crap. So now Google isn't able to get their rates. And so all of a sudden, not only you know, do I have all this stuff, but then they're going to have to start charging. So, you know, does this, is this a super life impacting thing? You know, that's the thing. There's no one thing that is always the, you know, what's the killer app? The killer app is a thousand incremental improvements over the last app for the most point, you know, very rarely are, is there that quantum leap? It's that steady incremental grind. And so is this a quantum leap of, you know, calamity in your life? No, but is this ratchet up the tension? Yes, it does. That's my counter, Miles. Okay. Um, don't live in fear. All right. Now I said that and I don't want to be the guy who's like being irresponsible that, you know, you've got a house, you lock the door. I get that. But if you spend all of your life, as we all do these days, living in fear, we don't live. But it's not about fear, Miles. It's about basic um, responsibility to take care of your own stuff. I I don't live, I don't lock my doors because I live in fear. I lock my doors because it's a prudent thing to do. Uh, I live in a great neighborhood. The odds are I could leave my doors unlocked every day for the rest of my life. It wouldn't be a problem. But it's also not a bad idea to lock the door just to make it harder for somebody to come in. A locked door never stopped anybody, ever. It just makes it harder. And that's all encryption does. I want my data encrypted just to make it harder for the casual browser. And if that casual browser happens to be employed by the U.S. government, that doesn't make me any less inclined uh, to want to have a lock. Um, and that's the problem. You know, the we haven't actually gotten to the story yet, but uh, governments have been anti-encryption ever since encryption outstripped governments. Um, governments have always been anti-secrets. Law enforcement want uh, af- uh, access to all information at all times because it makes their job easier. I've said this, you know, Miles, you, you said the, the, the coffee shop, you know, man in the middle thing. Um, encryption makes things harder. Um, I've said many times about uh, security leaks, data leaks, that sort of thing. It doesn't make anything possible that wasn't possible. It just makes it easier. But and and Seth, I want to pick on you a little bit for using the phrase "right to privacy." That, that's that's not a thing. Uh, however, secrets are fundamental to human society and have been for as long as records have been kept about such things. And if I want to have a secret, I should have the ability to have that secret. The government, a, a right-thinking government, should not want to take my secret-keeping ability from me just because it makes their job easier. It, it also makes the criminal's job easier. And, you know, if, if law enforcement has a hard time um, getting terrorists' uh, cells off out of action because of encryption, I'm okay with that. I really am. Because, you know, just because something's harder doesn't mean it's impossible. Just because something's easy doesn't make it automatically a guarantee. But I don't like any government, particularly one claiming to be a representative government, a government made up by the people and for the people, uh, I, ha- I don't like any government to have um, a right to overrule secrecy. I-, I don't like that. And so that's why I'm against. Also, I don't like um, people who don't know anything about technology 
trying to legislate technology. And that's what this, 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 we're going to build in a super massive secret backdoor in all encryption. That's essentially what these, the, these laws that, that the U.S. And, and Australia and other people want. Uh, Seth used the phrase golden key. It's a backdoor. It's whatever. It's, they want the ability to decrypt everything. And on the surface, it makes sense in the same way that, you know, um, um, not allowing criminals access to, uh, quote, assault weapons makes sense on the surface. But the moment you drill down a little bit, it doesn't make sense. Uh, and I just, this could fundament, fundamentally corrupt, you know, internet banking, uh, the, the entire um, uh, digital currency thing experiment that's going on right now. Not, not just because, you know, I want my porn to be secret, you know, that, that's not the reason. But there are fundamental things right now that are based on secrets being really really hard to figure out not impossible just really hard and you give anybody a key as we have seen you give everybody the key now 300 million americans hint that's all of us have our information exposed to the world because of experian they because they had all the information because one person one company had all the information it became a it, it became public information if you give any government even the most trustworthy government, a golden key, eventually there's no such thing as encryption. This will change my life. I can't see right now how it's going to, but giving somebody a magic password will change my life. Maybe for the better, maybe for the worse, but it's absolutely going to be a thing that's going to happen. And, and you know, my government that supposedly represents me trying to do this without actually telling me, I got a problem with that. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm the guy who should normally be saying, yeah, I'm behind all this. I run data centers and I take care of things for clients and I'm the, the guy on the hook for security. Something goes wrong, it falls on my desk. So I get that. But at the same time, I'm also cognizant of the balance between people, you know, having a really high stress life and just the whole bit that comes with, with taking on such responsibility for things that 99% of the time don't actually end up affecting them. And it, it sort of it bleeds into the news story thing you were saying before about journalism and so on. There is some commonality here. Now, you might be right. I'll I tell you where I, where I will come on board and I'll, I'll sort of meet you on that. I believe everybody individually has a responsibility for their own personal security and their own personal sovereignty. I'm a 100% believer on that. I would never want to give that up to a government, to a company, to a third party, because clearly a third party, I don't trust them. I do trust me. So I do, I do want the tools to be able to protect myself. Absolutely. But having done that, I do also want to make sure that I'm not going to spend all of my life worrying that somebody's breaking into my house when I'm not there or that somebody's emptying my bank account. Yeah, it probably will happen at some point. I hate to see when that happens. But if I spend all of my life worrying about it, my life is not worth it. And and it's got to have some, there's got to be a balance, like a, a yin and a yang between these two things. And I just think that we're missing the balance. That's just the margaritas talking. You get back from vacation for a couple <laughs> of weeks, you'll have a totally different attitude. Yeah, but actually, I, I would love to maintain this attitude. I really would. But you're probably right. I just don't know if I want to go back to that, man. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, what are your thoughts? No, I, you know, it's 
just like, again, it's one of those, granted, if, if I was really that, you know, tinfoil body rub kind of body wrap person, then not going to put any information online. But unfortunately it is hard if not. And in some cases it's almost impossible to do things like that. You know, in the industry I work, you can't, you don't walk into an office and say, here's my resume. I would like a job. They're going to say, what you, you work in it and you can't email me your resume. You can't store this, you know? So, you know, you want to do banking. It is so inconvenient for me to get to my bank, but I can access it anytime online. And if they can't have, you know, if they have to have a governmentally mandated super password that gets into all of their stuff. Well, you know, all it takes is, you know, well, anyway, we know cause we've, we've talked about these and we followed them out to their conclusions, both logical and, you know, illogical, rational and irrational. So the problem is it's just one more thing in the deck that you have to be cognizant of and try even harder. This rat, you know, I would, you know, I mean, I think about it, it enters my mind because, you know, I mean, I think a lot and, you know, what would happen if what's the worst case scenario, what's the best case scenario. And this just makes one more thing that I wish I didn't have to spend so much time dealing with something I have to deal with, at least think about. So yay, America. So I just want to read some excerpts from this Softpedia news article. Australia passed anti-encryption law forcing tech firms to decrypt data. The controversial anti-encryption bill was passed on Thursday by Australia's parliament, providing law enforcement agencies with the power to request tech firms to decrypt data after receiving technical requests. According to the new law, tech companies will also be forced to build interception tools that can be used by Australian law enforcement to spy on persons of interests. So a government can go to the, the, the Australian government can go to a business in Australia and say, you must build me a sniffer tool or a, an encryption tool, a de- an interception tool. You are required to do this. If you don't do it, you're in noncompliance with, with federal law. Do they even say federal law in Australia, Miles? Yes, they know. do. Okay. Yeah. So, um, however, they're trying to uh, come out and say uh, the, the, the quote, the, the, in face of overwhelming evidence from many submitters to the committee's inquiry, the government has remained adamant that the access bill could not lead to the creation of backdoors. So they're, re- they're required to build interception tools, but it cannot create backdoors. What the fuck? What? Uh, this is what <laughs> I'm talking about. People not knowing technology trying to pass laws about technology. These people have no freaking clue what they're saying. Why do but you think now I'm it's not the there? Why do you think <laughs> I left that country 25 years ago, man? It's not just that. That's just tip of the iceberg. It's all the other socialism aspects of the government with high taxes and this constant, you know, in this constant invasion in everybody's life and that you know the thought police and all the stuff which is just rampant in australia and this is just one little itsy bitsy piece but because it's so unusual and ridiculous it's shining a light on what is just the start of a long waterfall of these sorts of problems that were going on down there. And I'm sorry to Australian listeners here because you're going to consider me to be the traitor, the guy who got out, and how dare, how dare me slander your country. Well, it's my country too. I'll slander it. It sucks. 
So that's why I'm not there, and that's why these problems persist, and they're not getting any better. And you know what? Australia's a population of 25 million people. They don't have any power. They can pass any law they want, and anybody in the US, Google, Amazon, Facebook, or whatever, if they go, you know what? It's not worth our while to do business down there. Guess what? Australia will change their mind. They'll be doing the, but, 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 hang on, wait a minute, wait a minute, we'll make an exception. We'll let you do it. 25 million people, it's not an, a market economy worth worrying about. So, Australia, I'm sorry, you've done it to yourself. You're not going to be a part of the world's technical economy anymore. According to Wikipedia, po- uh, uh, the state of Florida has a population of 21 million. So, there you go. Thank and- you. <laughs> <laughs> My point is done. My point is taken. <laughs> I just guessed at uh, a population because I knew if I'd Googled Texas or California, it'd come out way over. And I thought, well, that sounds about right for Florida. So it's roughly 83,000 times the size of Florida, but uh, only slightly larger in population. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have people who won't go there because they think they're going to land at the Sydney airport and some you know, big guy with a gun is going to come out and go, give me your phone. I mean, that, that's what they're going to think. How stupid idea was that? I mean, how to re- destroy your tourism, how to destroy your reputation? Fools. But it goes to your point that people who pass these regulations who have no idea about technology should be slapped on the wrist and kicked in the pants and sent out, sent home. Yeah. In the U.S., this golden key uh, thing has been kicked around many times. And, um, you know, uh, Congress will bring uh, security experts to the Hill and have them give testimony about how they could do that. And every time they've done that, I don't know about every time, every time I've looked it up and, and read the testimony, the experts said, um, you can't. And they said, no, no, I, you know, theoretically, I know with the, the modern technology, how could we, you can't. It's either secure or there's a golden key. Pick one. Um, and, and so then it gets tabled for a while because the experts didn't give the answer they wanted. Uh, and then they, you know, round up new group of experts uh, and, you know, it happens all over again. How do we make uh, the internet secure and make sure we have access to what we need? You can't. Um, that's my expert opinion. Um, and thank God for that. Well, eventually they'll just do what Australia did, stop consulting the experts and pass the law anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, no, they'll just, they'll, they, they keep going until they find some experts that say what they want to say. You know, that's all it takes is somebody who isn't in the field, but has all the credentials, a paper tiger of whatever variety you want and who doesn't care about the underlying technology, but they have an agenda they wish to advance. And I mean, I know I'm speaking hypothetically, that would never happen. No, of course not. So, you know, but, and then, oh, we'll see so-and-so said, and then everybody goes, but it doesn't matter because so-and-so said, and we wanted to do it anyway. You know, it was like, what was the big thing about, you know, save the internet, you know, and the websites went dark with the JavaScript and whatever. And there was tremendous outrage. And then they did the same thing next year. And there was, you know, hey, and then they did the same thing the next year. And it's like, man, we already said no. So let's move on to the next manufacturer controversy. So let me add one other thing that didn't get as much press, but is also the case. A couple of years ago, Australia had passed its own internet firewall rule. In other words, if you're sitting in Australia and you go to any ISP website and you try and go to thepiratebay.com, it'll tell you, no, that's not a a, um, sanctioned website by the Australian government. 
And the same will be true of many, many websites that are on a list that you are not allowed to access. So when that started, you can see, see the, the downward spiral that's going on here. It makes room for laws like this to come into play. It's also, and I'm going to, we go into the summer vacation, so I'm going to get a little bit, you know, uh, racy here. <laughs> um, Australia is a province of China. Australia sold most of its raw materials and its economic future to Beijing many years ago. It got through the 2008 GFC because it was selling iron ore, bauxite and liquid natural gas in bucket loads to China, which funded their economy. In doing that, so many backroom deals were made that would allow the Chinese model to start to permeate into the Australian political system to the point where I believe the mayor of Sydney is Chinese and a lot of other elected officials are basically representatives of the Chinese government. I would also say that in universities, you will constantly find that the ratio of local to foreign students, mainly from China, is, a, is about three to one. Foreign students have run the uh, economy of education in Australia so much that now when they protest on universities with pro-China rhetoric, they're not allowed to be stopped. They're allowed to have the same rights of free speech in that country that they would have if they were in uh, Beijing. And at the end of the day, what you're seeing in terms of the model from China, the firewall, the government intrusion and surveillance, and also the social credit score, which is the next uh, you know, the shoe that will drop, these things are now part of Australia's social culture because it's a part of China. It, it loves Huawei. It loves Chinese products. It doesn't make its own cars anymore. It imports them all. It imports everything. It's now immigration. Australia has got nearly 600,000 Chinese immigrants per year coming into a country with only a 25 million population. And I have nothing against China. But I guarantee one thing, every time I go back, and I've got to do it again in August, every time I go back, my wife and I look at each other as we're leaving, we go, we can't come home anymore. Because every sign around the Sydney airport is in Mandarin first and English second. Now, I might sound a bit ranty about this, but this is what I see when a country is consumed, a country of 25 million people is consumed by a country of 1.3 billion people. You're going to see this. So for Australia to come forward with these sorts of laws, these sorts of uh, intrusions on personal privacy, it doesn't, it's, it's China. It's not Australia. If this story was about, you know, man, mainland China doing it, we'd go, yeah, that's China. Well, that's what's going on. I've said my piece. Flame away, everyone. <laughs> you know, my, have you seen the movie Tomorrow When the War Began? No, my, I haven't. It's, it's an Australian movie. Um, it's sort of like uh, Red Dawn, but set in China or set in Australia. So it's interesting movie. Um, I, will, you know, I will hunt it down. The the I think it's on uh, Amazon right now, or it's been on Amazon and or Netflix in the past. So the the premise is these kids go kind of to the outback 
you know, so far out, there's no signal or whatever for a week of camping. And then they come back and like their town's deserted and they slowly begin to piece stuff together and figure out that they've been invaded by China and, you know, Wolverines, except, you know, I guess it would be, uh, you know, Tasmanian devils or whatever from China. So, um, but tomorrow when the war began, it was, I mean, an enjoyable affair on, you know, streaming media. Okay, I'll I'll hunt it down. Sounds good. Just make sure it's not encrypted because that's now illegal in your country. So. <laughs> um, I I'm so disgusted. I didn't I didn't mean for our last show before we disappear for a month uh, to be so negative. Seth, give us something positive, please. Okay, so actually the next story, the U.S. throws energy future to the wind uh, was the title I came up with. So this is an Ars Technica article that talks about how renewable electricity beat out coal for the first time in April of 2019 here in the great U.S. of A. So again, you know, it's during the spring when energy consumption is down and a lot of coal or a lot of electric electric companies that use coal-fired power plants, they take them down for maintenance because the demand is lower. And um, but so for um, for April, renewable energy constituted 23% of the nation's power supply, while coal-fired electricity was only 20% of our power supply. So, you know, we've talked in the past about, you know, clean energy uh, versus, you know, the evil capitalist uh, trying to exploit the, the planet. Um, you know, pick whatever you want to there. But I think it's pretty cool that we're getting to the point, you know, renewable energy has become cheap and the infrastructure has been put in place to be able to get power from these wide areas where nothing was because you know you had to have who cares if you can generate all of your electricity a thousand miles from everywhere if there's no you know electric grid to carry it out so it's a good trend um Overall, for the year, they predict it's going to be a couple more years before, for a whole year, renewables outpace coal. But it wasn't too far in the past that coal accounted for over 50% of the energy production in America. So there you go, Mark. You know, maybe too little too late, but at least it's something. How's that for good news? It's not too little too late because we still have hundreds of years of coal and and, uh, oil available to us. Um, Despite what the alarmist may say, the the supplies are going to last a very long time so we've got time to to get the kinks right uh sorted out and so yeah I, i'm i'm all for energy that is sustainable uh we all recognize that coal um oil digging things up out of the ground eventually you run out of stuff to dig up um in the case of oil uh, or natural gas is a good example we thought we were out and then we discovered fracking and now we figure we can get a whole lot more we'll continue to iterate those processes are well uh, as well, but I'm happy to see solar and wind power uh, being uh, viable solutions because you know we need them. I would love to see a better um, investment, more interest in nuclear because I think done right, nuclear is probably the cleanest, most efficient, best uh, fuel system uh, possible. We just haven't invested the energy in it because you know a couple of high profile um, mistakes. Uh, and and accidents have have sort of put a, a damper on that. Uh, certainly, when we go into space, nuclear is going to be the way to go. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited about the fact that um, all uh, new ways of doing things are getting better. So thank you, Seth, for for raising my spirits today. Well, you're welcome. I tried. Miles, any comment from you on that? 
No, I'm a big nuclear fan. I really am. I think we don't take advantage of something which is there, and we need to we need to reward scientists for inventing incredible things. We just need to get better at protecting ourselves from uh, the downside of them. Yeah. In nuclear radiation, you don't have to create anything. It's already there. I mean, we're not making the isotopes. They already exist. We're just finding out safe ways to handle them. Um, anyway, I'm going to get off that. Uh, so, Seth, what happened this week in history? All right, Mark. Well, I wanted to let you and the fine opiates know that on June the 28th, 1965, so, wow, that's over 50 years ago, the first commercial communications satellite is activated. Intellistat 1, the first communi- commercial communication satellite, is activated for service. It was nicknamed Early Bird after the famous proverb and became famous for carrying the first commercial telephone call between America and Europe, as well as helping provide TV coverage of the Gemini 6 splashdown. And that happened this week in History Mark. And now back to you. I had no idea that satellite communications, you know, tele- television and telephone were that old. I mean, think about it. We, we, we were still just figuring out. We hadn't done the moonshot in in '65. We were still figuring out how to travel in space. I had no idea that we had artificial satellites, uh, communication satellites, in 1965. That is fascinating news. Well, I aim to please. <laughs> um, you know, you need a satellite for obvious reasons. Um, line of sight is a thing. Uh, so there's really only a couple of ways to communicate. You can either run a wire from here to there, or you can shoot a radio beam from here to there. But over a curvature of about, I think it's 27, 28 miles, something like that, the curvature of the Earth, no matter, your your antenna has to be impractically tall to to combat that. So the satellite is the answer to that. Satellite uh, tower goes up to the satellite. Satellite can hit anything, uh, you know, and certainly if you're willing to have a delay, it can store the message and wait till it gets over it. So um, satellites are important for communication and we use them all the time. We don't know it. Uh, there's a good chance that there's satellites involved in this conversation we're having right now. Um, it's, uh, it's fascinating that that's been around for 54 years. Yeah. If you remember back our history of communications episode, which I so enjoyed doing, uh, you know, we prove, we use the moon has, uh, you know, to prove that you could, use the moon has a satellite to bounce messages off of. Right. So pretty cool stuff. All right. And Seth, so for the last time for at least four weeks, maybe more, uh, depends on how sick I am of the world. <laughs> whether or not I want to come back to this. Uh, what do you have to uh, close the show out in style? Okay. Well, this is a very interesting, um, type of puzzle. It's a fractal jigsaw puzzle. So you, um, you get a it it's very time consuming so if you're like an anal guy or anal retentive guy i guess i should be more uh careful with my words there you can get started on this and go down the rabbit hole because there is a jigsaw puzzle and then whenever you finish it it goes out to a wider jigsaw puzzle and only that piece you can see you then have to go and solve all all the other pieces are jigsaw puzzles as well so as you get one solved you got to go out to the larger picture you pick another piece and then you go down and you solve that and then that makes a piece and all the way down and it's actually i thought it was a it's a pretty cool way to you know spend some time you know tell your kid to shut up and go solve some puzzles online or something so this is at github uh, fractal jigsaw puzzle for your uh amazement and content and there's no feedback 
to whether you got it right or not. It's not a picture or anything. You no, just got to go it, just on shapes. It is a fractal, and whenever you get the two pieces that are supposed to be together together, you actually hear this click sound. So okay. if you have, um, if you if you have that tab muted, you won't know, but they'll click together and then they'll move as one. So pretty cool. Oh, okay. Uh, this is the kind of thing that could really make me un- an unpleasant person to be around. <laughs> if I, if I, cause the differences are, cause you can't look at the picture. It's not like pictures of puppies or anything. So you got to look at the outline of the shape and say, all right, there's a ridge there and a bump there and a, a dent there. Wow, I could I could seriously get lost in this for a while. Yeah. Well, you know, it depends because some of them are actual fractals, and then some of the, like I'm looking at one of you the keep using that word. I, I do not think it means what you think. No, it means. it's a oh. fractal. Yeah, I don't know what it means. I don't know oh, what a fractal. Okay. I don't know what a fractal is if I see it. All right. So what what does that mean to me? I don't know. Okay. You know, I mean, I don't know it well enough to explain it, but um, I learned anyway. It's cool stuff. It's like the the thing that kind of spirals out and it's geometric progressions and all that and anyway just look up fractals online <laughs> and but like the puzzle that i'm working on now every piece is green so this is this is a piece that's going to be a blank piece so i'm looking at what 15 20 30 pieces that are all green and so yeah i have to do the thing to get them to fit together and uh yeah that part's not fun but the ones that have fractals in them are are cool so yeah, I vaguely remember fractals in algebra, but yeah, this one I'm looking at right here, it's like 19 red spots and one green one. Uh, I don't, if that's a fractal, I don't know what it means. Well, it's not, but as you put them all together, it will kind of make one. So okay. Maybe, I, you know, yeah. good luck. So I, I lost like seven months of my life to that stupid water click game. <laughs> if you'll remember, I, I wrote some code so that I could click 24 hours a day, seven days a week uh, because of that stupid thing. So, Did, did you ever get unlock them all? Well, eventually you get to a level called infinite, and it's just that. You just click forever, and you never fill up the ocean. It never happens. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I got to the infinite part, but then what? And it was so not satisfying. <laughs> because <laughs> I burned this poor little PC up running 24 hours a day for six months to achieve infinity because my OCD brain wouldn't make me stop, wouldn't let me stop. <sighs> and then you bring me this. You hate me. Why do you hate me, Seth? I thought we were friends. Uh, you know, you remember that one time? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So I thought, you know, like I say, and oh, when we come back, I have one that might be a classic. So that that's a teaser to come back and join us after our break. I've got one. I was going to use it today, but I thought, no, this one's too good. And I had already found this one. So I've got the one for our first show back. It's going to be awesome. Everything is awesome. All right. So we're taking July off. You'll hear this uh, July 3rd, I think, is when it comes out. <clears throat> um, just a quick reminder, July 4th, come in the day with the same number of digits you started the day. 
Um, that's a, that's good advice. Uh, but we'll be back the first week, I think, in August. Uh, maybe the second. I'm not sure how the Sundays and Wednesdays line up. Uh, but we're taking at least four weeks off just because summer's crazy. I mean, I, I ran all day today uh, th- this week where there were camps that the kids were doing and then at the end of the camps there's always a showcase thing so I, I i did like three different things this weekend alone and i ran in here and jumped on my ball and and started the show um and you know so we're just going to take some time off to let let my let me have a family time and let miles travel the world and and get sick of australia and let seth do whatever seth does um so we're just going to take some time off uh and mark to finish this jigsaw puzzle (laughs) yeah don't worry we have not pod faded yet um uh we're just taking some time off and uh, we'll look for you when we come back i'm not going to do the whole um contact us thing because i'm not going to be reading it for the next few weeks uh patreon um if you're a patreon subscriber this is this is sort of the perfect thing for patreon i'm not going to be putting out content therefore you're not going to be giving me money it's a fair exchange uh those of you who have uh chosen to do recurring donations uh via paypal or something like that i appreciate that but i'm gonna feel guilty at the end of the month if i get a uh, a paypal thing for 20 bucks from somebody when i've produced no content so if you would like to go and suspend that for a couple of weeks i totally understand that uh, patreon.com slash element is really the best way to do that because it's a pay-for-play deal we don't do the thing you don't pay for it i like that so that's all I got to say about that. Have a good summer, everybody. Miles, Seth, as always, thank you for uh, doing what you do. Uh, we'll be back sooner than you think. Those of you who are weeks behind on your podcast, you may not even notice uh, that we've stepped away. So uh, we'll be back later. That's it for this episode of The Geek Rant. Remember, pay for what you like. <laughs>